Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I've got another wonderful show, as usual, lined up for you today. Today, we are discussing adoption, and I always like to shed a little light on the matter before I get started. So with that, um, let me share that. In the United States, there are over 400,000 children who are living without permanent families. Of this, over 100,000 of these children are eligible for adoption but nearly 40% of these children will wait over three years in foster care before being adopted. Now, when it comes to um, the people looking to adopt uh, and the family structure, 70.2% are married couples, 22.7% are single families, 5.5% are single males. Wait a minute, hold on. I think I said that wrong. 227 percent are single females, 5.5 percent are single males, and just a small 1.6 percent are unmarried couples. My guest today understands the ups and downs of the adoption process very well, having gone through it herself. She now helps others with their adoption efforts. Marnie Pash is the director of Mended Hearts Adoption Consulting, where she helps couples and singles navigate through domestic adoption. She's here today to share her own personal story as well as provide information about the adoption process. It is with much pleasure that I welcome Marnie to the show today. Miss Marnie, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, thank you very much for having me. How are you today? I am well. I'm well. Are you over there still pacing? I, I, I've settled <laughs> in my chair and I'm ready to have some fun and hopefully help some families understand a little bit more about the adoption process. All righty. We're looking forward to learning all that we can today. Um, you know, I think it's a topic that, you know, people kind of hear about, but they don't really know all the ins and outs of, of the matter. So hopefully we can break down a lot of the myths and misconceptions and, you know, help people educate themselves today through this. And um, I'd like to start off with you and your personal story. So um, family. OK, so families, you know, they decide to adopt for varied reasons. Um you know, we know this uh, from what we hear in the media and, then, you know, maybe we've encountered some people. But as far as you and your family, can you share what brought you and your husband to considering adoption? Well, we had many positive adoption stories in our lives growing up. So adoption was always something we felt comfortable doing. Um, mm-hmm. It was very normal for us to have that in our lives. But um, we have um, one daughter, and then we wanted to expand our family. And when we experienced secondary um, infertility, it was a fairly easy transition to decide to start the adoption process. Um, so now we have two beautiful little girls, and um, we, we couldn't have been happier with our, with our process. Good deal. So after your first daughter came, um, how soon was it that you guys started to try the pregnancy thing again? Uh, she was probably about a year and a half, I think, at the time. So we tried to conceive for about a year and a half, um, and I had issues with ovulation. Um, and my doctor suggested that we start going on medication for that. 
But after a year and a half of attempting to get pregnant, I I was just done. I wanted to, um, you know, move forward with something that I had a little more control over. Um, I didn't want to put my body through any more testing, measuring temperatures. Um, I just I just knew that um, it wasn't the the route that I wanted to take to go through infertility treatment. And so we started adoption, and my husband was 100% on board. Cool stuff. Now, let me ask you this between the two of you, because there are other options for you guys to explore, like, you know, surrogate parenting. Why why did you guys not want to do that? Um, You know, honestly, I don't think surrogacy ever crossed our minds. Um, I, you know, had already been pregnant, um, and adoption, um, like I said, we, we had had friends and family members, um, that we grew up with that, um, either were adopted or, um, friends who were in the middle of the adoption process. So for us, that just seemed to be the route, um, to take. Um, I know it's not certainly for everyone. Many people choose to go through, um, IVF, um, you know, for many years, um, and either they have success or they choose to eventually move on to adoption. But surrogacy was nothing, uh, did not really cross our, our minds at that point. I, I don't think there was a reason we didn't consider it. It just, um, you know, adoption just seemed to be the more, um, the, the option that was more familiar to us. Okay. Okay. Now, um, also we are aware that there's quite a few options when it does uh, come to adoption when somebody says, okay, you know, this is something that I'm going to strongly consider. And you have the, um, you know, the choice of adopting domestically. You hear a lot of people go internationally to adopt. Uh, how did you guys decide to complete your family domestically? Well, we started the process actually internationally. Um, I, okay. um, I had thought that because we had a biological child, um, you know, because, um, you know, for, for many reasons, I, for some reason, thought that domestic adoption would not be, um, suitable to us. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, when you start your Google search, a lot of the agencies that will appear first are ones with large, um, marketing budgets, and a lot of those mm-hmm. are Christian agencies. Okay. And as such, those agencies tend to have, um, they'll either want a, statement of faith, they may want you to be married for a certain number of years, um, no prior marriages, um, no biological children, the, you know, the list was going on and on, and I'm like, we don't exactly fit all of their parameters, and so oh. I began to feel very discouraged, okay. and um, I assumed that domestic was not going to be a route we could take, so I started doing research in international adoption. Um, we were going to adopt uh, from Rwanda, but then at a support group meeting, I met um, a woman who worked for the agency that we ended up adopting through and learned that there were actually um, many agencies and attorneys out there that do not have any specific requirements for adoptive families um, other than being willing to open their hearts to love. So, um we met with her, and we felt very comfortable with her, and we, we decided to change our focus to domestic. Okay, okay. Now, you just mentioned two, um, 
two things when you were going through your adoption. You mentioned agency and uh, attorney. So do those things go hand in hand in the adoption process? You just you just can't simply go through attorney. You have to have both parts playing in conjunction. Um. Well. Yes and no. So you okay. could have um, a full-service agency, which is someone where there's attorneys in-house, or social workers in-house. You could go through them um, for your home study. You could go to them through your match and your, your finalization. Um, but then there um, are also um, private adoptions that are done through attorneys. So mm-hmm. they might contract out for social workers, um, you might already have a home study to send to them. Um, they will either just handle the legal work or they may have a paralegal on staff that will work with the birth mom through her pregnancy. Um, but you can adopt through an agency. You can adopt through an attorney um, or you can do both, which is what, um, you know, if you have the budget to um, spread your your um, resources, um, I highly recommend doing so. And that way your your family is in multiple arenas so you have more opportunities to be shown. Okay, okay. Now let's go back to your own personal story. So you, you mentioned uh, previously that, you know, when you and your husband decided to adopt, the first thing you did was go to the Internet and do a search, which everybody does for everything in life these days. So you got discouraged and... Um, you know, went internationally, but, you know, we're filtered back to domestic adoption. So describe that process to us. Is it that you, you know, you put yourself on some sort of board and try to get matched with some uh, child or how does how does it all play out? Well, there are certainly families that do put their profiles on um, various websites and then birth mothers will contact them. Um, the route that we took was we signed up with our agency, we completed our home study, and then the agency, um, through advertising, reaches out to expecting moms that are considering an adoption plan. Um, they then look at all the families that they have waiting and see which family would be the best match for what the woman or couple is looking for in an adoptive family. Um, And then the agency calls you and says, congratulations, you've been matched. And Mm -hmm. at which case, that's when you you really start, you know, getting nervous. (laughs) And and then from there, they will help uh, counsel and provide the expecting parent um, as they go through the course of their pregnancy and then um, help you at the hospital. And, And hopefully, if all goes Smoothly and as it should, then you will um, come home with your your beautiful baby. Um, but there um, are certainly other ways to do it. Um, if a family were to search for their own match, um, obviously it would depend on state law. For instance, in Florida, um, you can't advertise um, if you are the adoptive parent. Um, you have to have an agency or attorney advertise on your behalf. But then there's okay. other states where, obviously, if you open up the penny saver, you'll see advertisements for, um, you know, loving family looking to adopt. So hmm. you can certainly take matters into your own hands and um, advocate for yourself in hopes to um, 
find a match, and oftentimes that can be less expensive. Um, mm-hmm. But you also have to be careful, too, because, um, you know, as with anything, if you put yourself on the Internet mm-hmm. or in a newspaper, anyone can contact you, and you have to be really on your toes for um, looking for potential red flags and scammers, um, which is not to say that you shouldn't do it, but you just have to make sure you're, you're diligent in... Um, in assessing the situation. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of issues with the internet. It's a good tool and a bad tool at the same time. So, I mean, that's totally understandable that you kind of have to be on your P's and Q's when it comes to, you know, looking for, uh, completing your family versus, you know, a lot of other things on the internet. So that's totally understandable. I'm curious real quick before we take our first break, you've mentioned something a couple times and I just, I want to get some clarity on it. Uh, you mentioned this home study thing. So when you decide to adopt, what what is a home study? What actually is that all about? Okay, so the home study is what any family would need in order to proceed with the adoption process. Um, a social worker will come to your home, and they're not looking to see if your floor is, you know, spotless or anything. They're basically making sure that you have a safe home for a child. Um, they will ask about um, how you might foresee yourself raising a child, um, you know, discipline, um, how you handle arguments in your marriage. Um, they just want to make sure that you've really thought out the adoption process um, and whether or not um, you have done your research, if you've had infertility, if you fully healed from the pain of infertility, um, and they will also do background checks um, to make sure you have not had any criminal um, um, occurrences in your past. Um, and that you know, is not to say that if you had a DUI when you were 20, that that would prevent you from being an adoptive parent, but certainly if you had um, sexual abuse or something mm-hmm. of that nature in your background, that would most likely prevent you from being an adoptive parent. Um, it's it's certainly an unnerving process for parents, but mm-hmm. once they experience it, they realize that it's really not so bad. Um, they're not looking to see that you have the biggest house. You can rent and still um, adopt. You can own a two-bedroom house and adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really making sure that it's a safe home um, for the child to, to come home to. And um, I know it can be sometimes a little insulting because you obviously, if you were able to conceive um, without assistance, you would not have anyone <laughs> yeah. coming into your home. Um, but it is the law, and, and, and it is done for a good reason. And I, I often find that families use it as a tool um, to just, you know, have conversations that they don't, they may not have had before. You know, uh, we have two different religions in our household. How will we raise our child? Um, we adopt it transracially. How will we make sure that our child experiences the culture that is known to them? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it opens up a lot of good conversations. So families should look at it as a benefit um, and, and try not to look at it as a, as a burden or an insult or anything scary because even though I tell my clients not to clean the house from top to bottom, they do, but <laughs> it's really not what the social worker is looking for, and they'll actually come after the placement of your child as well. And I will tell you, nine times out of ten, the family that scrubbed the house top to bottom 
at first, when they have their child, the social worker comes <laughs> over and the mom's hair sticking up straight and, you know, there's yeah. diapers all over the floor. So, um, so it doesn't need to be as intimidating as, as you might make it out to be. But you will need oh. to have the home study to adopt. Okay, understand. I mean, evasive it is, but, you know, truly a needed thing. With that, Marty, we're going to take our first break of the day. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Um, I am talking to Marnie Pesh, uh, the director of Mended Hearts Adoption Consulting. And before the break, she was talking to us about the home study process of consulting. And, uh, you know, she was saying it was a, a process where the social uh, worker comes in and looks at the home to see, you know, um, if you're you're ready to bring a child into your home, not necessarily that you're the cleanest person or, or you know, all of that. And, uh, Marnie, I want to um, ask, as part of this process, um, so after you do the home study thing and you've matched, you know, with a child that might be good for you, so is it like two weeks later you get to bring your baby home or no? Uh, no, it, um, it, well, in most situations, I should say, because there's always those, strange occurrences, um, the, you will be matched with uh, an expecting parent um, probably in their second or third trimester. Um, you might be asked to attend doctor's appointments with her if you live nearby, um, and then one night you will get the call that she's in labor, and you go to the hospital, um, and if she wants you in the delivery room, you can be in the delivery room. Um, if not, you stay in the waiting room. And depending on state law, um, you know, in, in Florida, it's, it's relatively soon after she gives birth um, and before discharge um, or by de- discharge that she will um, sign her rights and you will become um, essentially the, the parents of the child and you will take your child home that day. Um, and then there'll be more legal work that needs to be done before finalization. But um, the, um, when the child is ready to be discharged from the hospital, you will bring your child home. Um, but if um, if you are open to an older child, um, say six months or more, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the um, the timing might be a little bit different, but um, or in a case of um, a safe haven baby, um, I believe um, in Florida it's 30 days that a parent has the right to come back um, to claim their child. And I'm sorry, a safe haven child would be, um, at least in the state of Florida, when a parent decides to leave her newborn um, at a fire station, hospital, oh, okay. or police department. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but she has 30 days to come back. Um, so in those cases, um, an agency might um, place the child in temporary care, which might be um, what they call cradle care. Um, okay. And the baby would stay with a um, home study-ready family, and they would take care of the child until um, those 30 days have passed. And that way you aren't... Um, 
faced with a situation where if she were to return at the end of those 30 days, um, that the child wouldn't be in your home and have to be removed. She would be with a neutral party. Um, so, so yeah, typically in adoption, um, you would take your son or daughter home from the hospital unless it was one of those um, different situations. And, okay. um, and the time length that a biological parent could terminate their rights depends on the state you live you live on. Sometimes it's 48 hours, and once they sign, it's irrevocable, meaning that they can't change their mind. In other mm-hmm. states, it can be five days or one month. So Yeah, I think that was my next question after you, not to cut you off, like after you uh-huh. took your daughter home, was there like a, a time period where the mother could say, you know, wait a minute, I made a mistake here. I don't, I don't want to do this. Is there some sort of let's think about this period? Um, again, I'm not an attorney, so I don't want to say that my, my word on this is, is final. That would obviously be something you would need to consult your agency or attorney on. But um, in the state of Florida, once the um, birth mother is presented the paperwork to sign in the hospital, um, she cannot change her mind, which is okay. one of the reasons that Florida is a very popular state to adopt from because it's very adoptive, parent-friendly. Okay, and and you went through what we call uh, an open adoption. Can you share with us what is that? Certainly. Well, there's there's three types. Um, there's open, there's semi-open, and there's closed. And you'll find that it means something different to everyone. Um, Back in the 50s and 60s, closed adoption was the norm. A girl would find herself pregnant and her parents would send her away for a few months to help a, you know, ill grandparent, but what she was mm-hmm, really doing mm-hmm. giving birth. Um, she would not know who the adoptive parents were. The adoptive parents would not know who she was. Um, and that was that was the way it used to be done, and I don't think it was necessarily the best but it was what people did. Nowadays, what you see are semi-open adoptions, and that is where the adoptive parents might meet the um, expecting parents beforehand. Um, They might go to doctor's appointments. They might have a phone call. um, And then once the child is born, they agree to send pictures and letters to the agency or attorney, at which point the birth parents would uh, retrieve those items from the agency attorney, but they do not um, see the child again other than photos and letters. Okay. Um, when you move closer to adoption, you see that maybe, or sorry, open um, adoption, you might have three visits before the child turns age five, and that would be like a visit in a park or a restaurant or at your agency's office. Um, going all the way to what we have, which is a fully open adoption, um, and there's really no no privacy whatsoever in the fact that <laughs> she's been to our house, we've been to her house, we we see each other whenever you know we we have time to do so, and um, you know that that's really what was right for for our family. It's it's not necessarily right for everybody or every situation, um, mm-hmm. but um, especially since, you know, we're, um, we adopted transracially, which means that um, 
our youngest daughter is of a different ethnicity than my husband and I, um, I thought it was important or we thought it was important that she have a connection should she ever have any um, questions about her her history um, or her past. So that okay. was why part of the reason we made the choice we did, besides the fact okay. that her mom's awesome. So. Okay. So was... Was open adoption the only option you had, or that was just something that you chose? That was just something that we chose. There are agencies out there now that only do open adoptions, but most agencies and attorneys require photos and letters, and that's it. If you're open to more, great, but um, at a minimum, you should expect pictures and letters. Okay, okay. And so how long have you had your adopted daughter now? Um, she just turned three, uh, two weeks ago. Okay. And I think I read, you're looking, you're in the process of adopting again now? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> she I, said if, no, no, I, no. If, I, if my husband is listening, he is probably having a heart attack. He's like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I, I'm very busy at the, the moment with, with two and school and a career as is my husband. So, um, would I like to adopt again? I, I think I would. Um, is it something that would happen today? Most definitely not. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm always open to the, the possibility, but, um, no, it's, it's not something that's happening now. I, I find my joy in helping other families work on completing their families, so. Yeah, you know, I, parenting, uh, is, is a task in itself, you know. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people that really don't, uh, understand <laughs> everything that it entails it, it's a very time consuming process so i understand and you know husband don't worry about it you know you guys are safe for a little <laughs> while here <laughs> maybe a dog or a cat but no more kids right <laughs> yeah I, I i think i think he's even put the kibosh on on that idea but that's okay he's, <laughs> he's like he's no very, we are done <laughs> he's a very hands-on father and um you know it's you know, it's the right choice for us right now. But, you know, if we speak in a couple of years, who knows? But, um, um, but yeah, right right now we're very happy with, with how things are. So. Okay, okay. And um, you know what? I think now before we get started on the next segment, it's a good time to take a commercial break. Uh, so stay tuned. I am with Marnie Pash. Is that, am I saying that right, Pash? You are. You are one of the few people out there that did pronounce it right. So, yes. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back right after this commercial. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am Lana Reed, and today it is with pleasure that I am with Marnie Pash, the director of Mended Hearts Adoption Consulting. And uh, we've been spending the time talking about her own personal adoption and some tips and pointers that she can share with everybody else. Um, so we, we've discussed the home study and, you know, how you find, you know, link up to a birth mother and all of that. Uh, just out of curiosity, when, when the social worker comes or when the agency comes to you um, uh, and you want to adopt and everything, what kind of qualifications must a family or a single person have to be considered a good candidate for adoption? You know, it honestly depends on the um, agency. Like I said earlier, there's um, 
several agencies out there that may say no single parents. They might say no gay couples. They may say um, you need to have a statement of faith as well as letters from your minister. Mm. Um, they can get pretty particular. But on the mm. flip side, like I said, there's many agencies out there that have no requirements. They will work um with single families, they will work with gay couples, they will work with married couples, um, and, and they don't um, they don't have any restrictions, I mean, outside of, you know, passing the home study and, you know, being able to pay for the actual adoption process. Um, if families run into unique situations, sometimes mm-hmm. it's easier for them um if they aren't finding an agency that they can work with to go through a um, attorney. Um, okay. Typically, I find that attorneys are don't have any um, requirements like agencies do. Um, so um, age is another one that sometimes comes up, um, you know, not working with families that are over, um, you know, 52, um, you won't necessarily find that in a law office um, with an adoption attorney. So if you are single or older or, um, you know, something that you're not finding an agency that matches your needs, um, the attorney route might be better option for you. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm curious, like, so a, a less restrictive option um, it it might be problematic where it's not in the the benefit or the best interest of the child. So I'm I'm assuming I I want to assume. Let me say that that even in the less restrictive adoption arenas, there are still some requirements for an individual to go and adopt a child. Correct or no? Well, when you say requirements, like what are you thinking of? I mean, uh, I'm thinking that you have to have some sort of financial stability some sort of way um i'm just concerned that the child would be placed in a a environment that's going to allow it to thrive and and grow and and be a successful individual that i think that's my concern that we're just not oh no no so that's that's kind of where the home study comes back into play so okay um the part of the home study will be looking at your your finances as well now that's not to say that if you make 20000 a year, they're going to say no and say yes to someone that makes a million dollars a year. Um, mm-hmm. What it does say is that if they see that um, you have three Mercedes in your driveway, but you don't pay your electric bill on time, mm-hmm. that's going to be an issue. Okay. Um, and they don't, um, you know, they, if you've, moved apartments in, you know, five times in one year, that might be, you know, a flag. Um, okay. Unless, of course, you were relocated for a job. Um, so so they want to know that, um, you know, that you are managing your finances in a responsible way, not necessarily the amount, but that they're being managed in a, a responsible way that you can provide for a child. Um, and that does not mean that you need to provide them with, you know, twice a year trips to Disney World or something like that. But, you know, to give them um, a life, like you said, where they can thrive. Um, okay. So does that answer 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, my next curiosity question is, you know, let's say here it is, Lana, you know, she comes to Marnie and says, you know, I'm I'm a single female, you know, and I feel like, you know, I have a lot of love to give and, you know, I have a loving house. Um, my income, I don't know, it's it's I don't know, maybe like thirty thousand dollars a year. Let's just say that. So I don't. I have the the income to support myself in my home, but I don't have the finances to partake in the the adoption process and what it's going to take. Are there resources out there for people who would make good parents but just don't have the funding for the adoption process? Yes, there's certainly many resources out there. Um, a lot of um, families will apply for grants, um, mm-hmm. and those are. Um, there are many grants available out there for families. The issue that you come into is that you um, typically cannot apply for them until you are matched. So it's kind of like you're holding your breath that entire time to, to see if um, okay. if the funds will come through. The Another option would be loans um, through the bank, um, but there are also um, what are known as covenant loans, um, and those are typically offered through um, more religious nonprofits where their theory is that you make a promise to God that, you know, you will repay this money um, and know that if you don't repay the money that you will be um, preventing another family from adopting. Um, okay. So that, that guilt weighs heavy on families, and it offers... <laughs> Those um, organizations don't offer large amounts. You know, you might see five to seven thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. it typically comes with no um, no interest or very low interest and very okay. small um, payment plans. So it's definitely an option for families um, if you are to match with a um, an expecting parent through your own means that will greatly reduce the cost of an adoption. Um, networking with your friends and family, um, you know, someone that knows someone else, um, they might know of a girl that's looking to, to place for adoption. And what do you know, the, next, the day before they got your email saying that you were looking to adopt, and there you go, you have a match. Um, so there are definitely options for family. And, and while it's not my area of expertise, um, you know, adopting from foster care is another option for families if they're mm-hmm. they're open to going that route, and it's very inexpensive, if not almost free, um, mm-hmm. as well as providing a small stipend. And in the case of Florida, um, I believe that you can um, your child be provided with state college education. Um, so there there is foster care, um, foster adopt and um, there are grants and loans that families can apply for. Okay. So just, you know, ballpark figures, guesstimate, what's the low end to high end of what what it costs to adopt? I would say I I tell my clients that you should probably look at at least 25 to 27,000 average. Um, Wow. You know, if which is, a, a big number to, to swallow um, when you yes. you know you start the process, um, but some come in less and some come in more. Now, certainly, if a family were to say, "Okay, I, I can prepare myself for a twenty five thousand dollar 
budget, I'm not going to show them something that comes across my radar that, um, you know, is 35000 I mean, mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. would be cruel. Um, quite frankly, situations do appear where it's higher and in the 40s, but I don't think families need to pay that much. Um, I would recommend that if someone's budget is that high um, to use it in other ways, um, such as signing up with multiple agencies and attorneys. Um, I think that's where that extra money would be more well spent than just, you know, saying, oh, okay, well, then that means I can go with an agency that only has $45,000 situations. Um, So so, uh, before we go on here, just why why would one child cost – or one adoption, let me put it like this, let me rephrase this. Why would one adoption uh, cost 40000 and another adoption would cost 20000 Is there a difference in the, the, the situation? On, that it, A lot of it depends on, um, I think, state law. Um, so you have agency fees, if you go the agency route, which cover social working, counseling, um, and all of those um things that go into helping the expecting mom kind of deal with the adoption plan. Then you have what are called living expenses. Um, living expenses are paid to expecting parents to help them out with rent, food, transportation, um, maternity clothes maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And those laws are different in every state. Um, in Florida, I believe it's a $5,000 cap, and then anything above that, you would have to go to court to demonstrate that there was a need for higher expenses. I think there are some states where there is no cap. So then you have, you know, uh, an interpretation of transportation being, you know, a car. That's kind of open, yeah. So, um, you know, I always tell people that, you want to know exactly where your money is going, um, and um, you want to make sure that people use a very conservative um, interpretation of the law. Um, I'm not saying that um, the expecting parents shouldn't receive help. I think they should. Um, you know, when you know when you're pregnant, if you can't work, well, then you you need a house over mm-hmm. your head or mm-hmm. help with your rent. Um, so certainly it's very reasonable to assist with those fees. But that, you know, if you have um, a uh, living situation where, um, you know, let's say she was able to afford a $5,000 a month apartment and then all of a sudden she can't work, well, then you're going to have higher living expenses paying her rent versus someone that whose rent is only $300 a month. Um, so it depends on the situation. Um, and um, they, um, you know, just ask your agency attorney what they consider to be fair forms of um, living expenses and what the most expensive range is and what the least expense, um, expense is. And factor that into your budget. So, you know, don't say if you want... Um, if your budget's 25000 um, you know, and 
that should include living expenses, unless, of course, you're able to go up higher. But, you know, that should be from start to finish what your what your budget is. So. Wow. You know, I mean, I guess something I never really even thought about when it came to adoption, especially for my birth mother, that the person might have to kick in the fees for that person's rent. It's just something that, you know, I never, 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 never fathom. So, um, wow, it's, learning uh, experience. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a debated conversation in the adoption, adoption world um, because that money is also at risk. Um, mm. With the adoption, if if she were to decide to parent, um, you you you'd be out of that. Much, you'd be out. You'd yeah. be out of that money. And and I have heard of of um, expecting moms who decided to parent, they will send what little they can back to the agency to repay those families. But it's few and far between. I mean, if you don't have that money to begin with, how are you going to pay it back? So, but. Um, but you know, as long as it's under the um, parameters of the law, um, I don't see why um, why they shouldn't receive some assistance. Um, you know, you want you want the woman that's carrying your child to to be in a safe place and um, mm-hmm. you know have food, but that's not to pay for her boyfriend. <laughs> True. Apartment. It's not to pay for. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, other people in her home. So, but like I said, it depends on the, the state that she's in. So, gotcha. like, um, if you have um, if you have a more conservative um, agency that's going to be looking at these fees, they're not going to pay if she's renting an apartment with roommates. They're not going to pay the entire rent for the apartment. They'll pay for what her portion of the rent is. Okay, so, understood. Well, Marnie, we're going to take our last break of the day. Didn't mean to cut you off. And when we come back, we're going to talk about everything that you do there. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. I'm learning a lot today. I am with... Marnie Pash of Director of Mended Hearts uh, Adoption Consulting. Before the break, we were talking about uh, some of the money, the financial aspects of adoption. And uh, when you, whenever, whenever money is on the table, there is always an opportunity for some corruption. So, Marnie, I wanted, I want to know how do people find a reputable company to work with? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, if you're looking to adopt to an attorney, the great place to start is the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys. Um, and if you're looking through a- for agencies, um, obviously call them up, interview them, see how many placements they've done, see what their fees are, what they're allotting for um, living expenses, there's many wonderful adoption forums where you can inquire about specific attorneys and or agencies and receive feedback from um, others who adopt it. I also um, take referrals from birth parents because I certainly would not want to recommend an agency or attorney to someone where they have mistreated the um, biological parents. Um, but 
not one thing alone is going to be sufficient enough. For instance, I had a client um, who called me and said she was on her way to drop off a um, form and deposit to an agency that I had not heard of. Um, mm-hmm. And I, she received the referral from a friend. And I'm like, okay, well, let me just look into this a little bit more. So I did mm-hmm. some research and I found out that um, they were in danger of having their license revoked. Mm. And I did a little more digging and, um, you know, found out that they saved themselves at the last minute. But um, I called her and I said, I'm sure you've done your, your research on this, but did you know X, Y, and Z? Um, and I want you to look into this a little bit further to make sure you are comfortable proceeding with this. And she called me back and she said, I had no idea. I simply hmm. went off the referral of a friend. Um, so, you know, just because someone says it's good doesn't mean it's so. Um, <laughs> just because it has the word Christian before it does not mean that it's mm-hmm. always so. Um and, you know, just because it says nonprofit does not mean it's going to be very inexpensive. So, you know, just, um, you know, use all of that that you have um, at your disposal. Do Internet search. Do um, call and speak with them. Ask for referrals. Um, obviously, they're not going to refer you to someone that has anything negative to say. But then do some digging on online forums and see if um, anyone else has um something negative to say. Now, if you have someone, an agency or attorney that has 50 positive reviews and one negative review, you know, I think chances are that you're working with someone that's probably pretty reputable. But um, if you see five or six negative comments and you see two or three positive, eh, then we might want to look into it a little bit deeper. but you want someone that's not only going to work for you and be there for you as an adoptive parent, but you want to make sure that they're treating the expecting parents well. And you want to make sure that both of you have support before and during the um, actual adoption takes place. Okay. Now that brings me to Mended Hearts Adoption Consulting. Um, can you tell me what all do you do there? What, what, what can adoption, uh, prospective adoption families uh, work with you and, and get? So typically when a family contacts me, they're at the beginning of their process and it's the what do I do stage. Um, (laughs) I help them with education. Um, I walk through um, the home study process with them. I don't do home studies, but I help them know what to expect. I answer any questions they have as they're filling out their forms. you know, if they have questions about degrees of openness, I help them um, find resources to see if they might be more open than they initially think. Um, a lot of people, you know, are exposed to, you know, the horror story movie of the week, adoption tales. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they come to me with that mindset. I started it from that mindset. And um, education really is key in this process, and I would say almost 99% of my families um, walk away from this experience being like, oh, I never knew that, you know, I was open to this. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I know I wouldn't have smoked during my pregnancy, but you know what? I think I'm okay to opening my parameters to that. Um, mm-hmm. I then link them with um, a list of agencies and attorneys that I've worked with um, in my time, and I've already 
screened these agencies and attorneys, but I also like for my clients to contact them because just because I like someone does not mean that you are going to like them, and I certainly would not want you going on this journey with someone that you really did not like at all. So um, <laughs> I have them contact them, get a feel, then we come together again and decide from that list who they're going to sign up with. So they might decide to sign up with one agency and then two attorneys, and then I also have some agencies and attorneys who will just um, hold books for me of parents um, if a situation might come their way. Um, and then I also do profile um, construction, which is a profile is the expecting parents window into your life. It shows them what kind of family you're going to provide. Um, will they have a you know big family dinners every Sunday? Will they be raised in um, a family of faith? Will they be raised in a family of travelers? Um, you know, it's it's like a photo album of your life and your family and, and how you want to raise your child. Um, so I help with that. I help them find grants and financial assistance. Um, and then I also provide support throughout the entire um, process. You know, I'm happy to go to the hospital with families um, if they need someone to be there. You know, it's... It, it's nice to have someone that's on your side that's not the agency or attorney, that's not your family, that's, you mm-hmm. know, piping in your ear advice. Um, you know, if, if an agency or attorney had to handle every single phone call from a adoptive parent, no one would ever, you know, be able to adopt because there's so many emotions involved. So instead of calling their agency, they call me, and okay. we work through it, and we set up, you know, okay, you're you're worried about this, let's work it out together. And then if it um, if it's something that the agency needs to be contacted, well, then at least they've kind of calmed down before you know, <laughs> calling the agency. Um, I've been on the phone with clients at 6 a.m. I've been on the phone with clients at 8 p.m. So <laughs> you know, it's I am their advocate through this process, Um, and obviously your agency and attorney is going to be working for you, but they're also working for uh, anywhere from five to a hundred other families. So um, this is one person, one-on-one, when you need them uh, to help you deal with this process. Okay. Wow. I mean, you know, you're the, the glue that holds everything together, so... You know, that's that's right. some good stuff. I mean, it could be a very traumatic experience for, you know, all parties involved. So it's good to have somebody, you know, like you around to kind of ease things through. And you know what, Marnie, I, with that, we are at the end of our hour. You know, I think one day I'm going to have to go to like a two hour show because every week it just goes so fast and I don't get to ask everything that I want to ask. But, you know, I did have a wonderful time uh, with you today and I learned so much that I didn't know. I uh, thank you for being with me, dear. Well, thank you so much for putting me at ease. I enjoyed my time, and if any of your <laughs> listeners have any questions, please tell them to contact me. So, Yeah, you know, and you can contact uh, Marnie at MendedHeartsAdoption.com and our website. There's a phone number there, so I guess it's free for me to give out. That would be 804 804- Five four eight five eight zero zero. Once again, her website is mendedheartsadoption.com. Once again, Marnie, it has been such a pleasure. I wish you much success to you and your family and all of your clients. 
Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, you too. And that is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.